Welcome to the Diversity Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jonathan Ember. We hope that you would just take a moment and listen and receive the Word of God. We know that one word from the Lord can change your life. And so we hope that this message will bless you and transform you in Jesus' name. Come on, Diversity Church. Who's been excited about this sermon series called Seven? Have you guys been enjoying it here at Diversity? We hope you have. Uh, welcome to Diversity Church, to those who are watching online, to those that are North Campus, to those who come to the house today. We are different people. We have the same God. We are Diversity Church. I do want to just give a huge shout out to uh, Billy and Justin for holding it down the last couple of weeks in the pulpit here. Last week, I was actually at the North Campus, and we made a huge announcement that Pastor Mike is actually stepping down on March 1st, and um, we have a new pastor, Andrew Woodrich, who's going to be stepping into that place and being the campus pastor at the North Campus. And so that was a huge announcement this last week. So we went up there and worshiped with them and helped uh, transition that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was an awesome time. So wanted to just share that with you. Wanted to give a shout out to the dudes who, uh, I, I have a good backups here, man. Come on, somebody. Isn't that good to have a good team? It's not all on me. So love that. And they uh, picked up in the series and did a great job. So we've been studying these seven churches mentioned in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And these seven churches are located in seven ancient cities in what is now modern-day Turkey, what was then Asia Minor. And these seven cities are significant. They were on the uh, Roman mail route, and um, Jesus is speaking to them. He had a message for all of them, and those messages apply to the church today. It's like a complete message, if you look at all seven of them, to what Jesus is saying to the church today. And at the end of each one of these letters, it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So good to know that because Jesus is still speaking to the churches. And what we're discovering is, is that through these letters, he's speaking even to our church. So we're listening to see what God is saying to us in this series. And so the next church that is mentioned, this is actually the sixth one out of seven. You guys do math right, you count. We only got one more in the series next week. Today we're going to look, though, at Philadelphia. Now, again, it's not the Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. All right. Just like there's many, you know, different uh, cities like, um, you know, uh, New York, for example, there's one in England, right? There's multiple cities with the same name in different locations. And this is true with Philadelphia. Philadelphia that we're talking about was founded uh, over almost 2,000 years, about 1,700 years uh, before the one in Pennsylvania. All right. This is, again, on the Roman mail route in western Turkey, what it was then Asia Minor. And this got the city got this name from its founding. Eumenes II actually founded this city in like about 159 BC. And he actually named it Philadelphia or Philadelphios because his, his brother, who's going to actually uh, be the mayor of that city, his brother, Attalus II, was so loyal to him and such a good brother, Brett. It's my brother right here on the second row. He was such a good brother that he actually named this city Philadelphios, literally meaning one who loves his brother. Come on, somebody. You got a brother who names a city after you. You know that's some brotherly love. All right, we can't even get our brother to answer our phone call. We don't even have a brother who can help us move. We don't even have a brother who may come to church with us, Right? We have, a, we have a brother here who actually names a city 
after his brother because of that loyalty and that connection and that relationship. And this is why it's called Philadelphia, because Philadelphia in the Greek literally means the one who loves his brother. And this is the reason why, if you look at Philadelphia today in the United States, it's often referred to as the city of brotherly love. You guys have heard that because in the Greek, it literally means uh, the, the one who loves his brother. And so this is where this city gets its name. All right. And in, uh, in this time where the Bible was written, it was a significant city, again, on this Roman mail route. And it was actually a rich city. And there was a lot of things going on, including the gospel of Jesus. But this church in this city is actually going through some persecution. I want us to read here in Revelation 3. They're not getting a lot of love in their midst. And we want to talk about that specifically from a group of people that we find here. And I want to just kind of explore the topic of persecution. So let's look at verses 7 through 13 in Revelation 3 as Jesus is speaking. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your works. He said this to every single one of these churches. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what you're doing. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. How many of you guys want that promise in your own life? Come on, somebody. I know that you have but little power. This is where the persecution comes in. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, which I will explain later, who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast then what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Verse 12, the one who conquers. This is another thing that he says to every single church. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I want you to understand that Christianity is a conquering religion, meaning there's gonna be things that we face that we're gonna have to overcome. This thing isn't a bed of roses. This thing isn't some easy route. This thing isn't some, hey, God will make you rich. And it's a get rich quick scheme. Like, hey, pray to God like a genie in the bottle. He's going to make you win the lottery and everything else. No, this is an overcoming faith. This is a faith that actually faces things and continues to believe. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord, guys. I want to talk to you from this portion of scripture. I just want to give you three lessons about persecution straight from uh, what Jesus is saying to this church in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Let's learn about persecution. I want us to understand what we're to do in the middle of it when we're facing different trials from even people in our life. Let's look at what Jesus really tells them and the lessons we can learn here. Let's look at the first one. Being persecuted for your faith in Christ puts you in good company. Being persecuted for your faith in Jesus puts you 
in good company. In verse eight, we hear Jesus say that I know your works and behold, I've set before you an open door. Everybody say open door. Which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The reason why Jesus is saying that I have set before you an open door is because this church in Philadelphia had many doors shut in their face. Many doors shut in their face simply because they were believers in Jesus Christ. I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get to sharing with you who were the ones shutting this door and what that door really meant. But I just want you to explore this for a moment because you guys can understand this. What if just because you were a Christian and you came to church today, you couldn't do something in your home afterwards? Or maybe your job wouldn't let you do something in your job, like a promotion or something like that. Or maybe they even disqualified you or, or actually fired you just because you love Jesus, right? And you actually were a Christian and you might have put it on your Facebook profile, right? All of these things, they're experiencing shut doors simply because they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Now, I hope that you guys are remembering another church that we've already studied in this series, and that was the church of Smyrna. These two churches actually have the same exact opposition, well, maybe in a little bit different way because they were getting it more from the Gentiles, but they were both also getting persecution from the Jews. And this is why both to both churches, Jesus actually mentions this synagogue of Satan. And I'm going to explore that a little bit more in my second point, but I want you to think about these are the only two churches at the same time that didn't receive any rebuke from Jesus. They're the ones going through the same type of persecution, going through the same type of shutting doors in their faith, but uh, in their face, but they're the ones who Jesus doesn't actually say anything negative to. Why is that? Because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer persecution. Matter of fact, he said this to his disciples. I think it's in John 15. He says, if they've persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. There's a fellowship with Jesus, a connection with Jesus, an understanding with Jesus when we're going through persecution that he understands and is so pleased when we go through it faithfully that he actually calls it the fellowship of his suffering meaning an intimate bond and connection with you when you're suffering persecution just because you're doing the right thing, he knows. These two churches are the only ones that don't receive a rebuke. Why? Because he knows. This is the reason why I labeled this point, being persecuted for your faith in Christ puts you in good company. The two churches that didn't get a rebuke, good company. Come on, somebody, right? Out of all these other churches, they did a lot of good things, except for the one last week where it was just a dead church, right, Sardis? Everybody else at least had a commendation. They they all did some good things, but they also had correction. Not Smyrna, not Philadelphia. Why? There's something about being faithful when you're going through it. There's something about being faithful when you're doing the right thing and you're suffering as a result of it. I actually think of the first martyr who died just because they believed in Jesus, Stephen. When Stephen is being stoned to death by these Jewish people who should have actually believed in the Messiah, while he's being stoned, the Bible says the heavens were open and Jesus was standing 
at the right hand of the throne of God. What we hear in other scriptures is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. I want you to think about good company. When you are suffering and you're being faithful in the middle of persecution, Jesus is standing saying, come on, son. Come on, daughter. You got this. I'm with you. I see you. I love you. I'm proud of you. Why? Because he knows what it's like to suffer for righteousness sake, to be to be persecuted, not because he did anything wrong, because you were doing things right. I hope that you're gathering through this sermon series that persecution and suffering are a regular part of Christianity. It's not the fun part of Christianity. How many of you guys love the mountaintops, right? Where God is just busting open doors, right? Busting favor. You got things just flowing towards you. You're in the land of milk and honey, right? How many of you guys also love the seasons of pain? I just read through the book of Job, and I'm going to tell you about the persecution that we've been going through just in the last few weeks. And I was like, Jesus... I have to read Job in this moment, right? We don't like the boils on our skin, family members dying, friends that are supposed to be your friends talking all sorts of trash and telling you how wicked of a person you are when the only reason why you're suffering is because you've been doing what is right. You've been a righteous man. There was no man on the earth like Job. There were only two churches in the book of Revelation like Philadelphia, Philadelphia and Smyrna, right? It puts you in good company when you're going through persecution. And I I want you to know this. Don't think it twisted. The Bible says don't be surprised when you go through all sorts of trials and tribulation for your faith. It's called the testing of your faith. And you'll be tested through a lot of different ways along the way. So I hope that you're recognizing that persecution and suffering are a regular part of Christianity. Just because we live in America and we're not literally being put to death for our faith doesn't mean that we're not going to be persecuted for our faith. I was talking to my daughter, Tavia, just this last week, and we went on a little daddy-daughter date. She's nine years old, and I was just asking her about her life and her friendships and school and all sorts of things. And she said, Daddy... Um, there's this kid in my class. I won't mention his name just in case they might watch online. (laughs) Or maybe I should. (laughs) Daddy, there's this kid in my class and he just keeps calling other kids stupid. So I said to this kid, I said, hey, God doesn't like it when you call other people stupid. He looks at my daughter and he says, Tavia, you are too Christian." Tavia looked back at him and said, too Christian? There's no such thing as too Christian. Come on, Tavia, right? Right? At nine years old, just because she's following Jesus, and at nine years old, what you're not supposed to do at nine or at 50 is call somebody stupid if you're following Jesus. Right? And so because she's doing the right thing and standing up for righteousness, what Jesus would want... She's being called too Christian. 
But how often is this the case in our own faith, even in America, where we believe in the Bible as the fundamental foundation of our whole entire life, that it is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if we stand on that truth and proclaim that truth, we get called bigots. We get called extremists. Right? There's all sorts of persecution. Just because we're not getting thrown into the fire and thrown into the bull like we talked about a few weeks ago in Pergamum. There's still persecution even at nine years old if you're really following Jesus. But it puts you in good company. This is what I'm telling you. This is what 2 Timothy 3.12 says. Yay and all that will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Do you want to be considered amongst the godly? You want to be in that company? Then guess what? If you live out your faith for Jesus, this is what you're promised. If you live out your faith for Jesus, the way that Jesus wants you to live it out, you will be persecuted. You'll be made fun of. You'll be mocked. Hey, if we're in another part of the world right now, we could even be put to death. And though we don't necessarily go through that flesh and blood trying to kill our flesh and blood here in America, guess what? There's still demons and principalities and rulers of dark places like in the book of Job where Satan himself went to accuse God so he could attack Job. Guess what? Some of the reasons why you're going through what you're going through, even in your Christianity, is probably because you're living it out and, and the devils take notice. And they might stir up people to persecute you, or they might just try to stir up sickness, or they might just try to stir up, you know, some other thing that is happening in your life to make you feel the pressure to try to see if you're going to bend, to see if they can break you. So what are we going to do? Well, I want to be associated with those who are godly. As for me and my house, I want to serve the Lord. As for me and my faith, where else am I going to go? I, I just want to follow Jesus and everything he wants me to do. And so I know that along that path, even at nine years old, like my daughter, I might be ridiculed and criticized. What we've been going through the last few weeks, um, Pastor Justin uh, let y'all know that we've been having a tough time last week. And I just want to honor uh, him and his leadership and his love for me. It's good to have a friend. And what he did last week was just so sweet. And um, he just wanted to support his, his friend, not just his pastor, but his friend. And so he let you know that we've been going through it. And what we've been going through really is <laughs> a process of eight years in the making. And I've talked to you before about our adoption journey. What you guys did not know, because it was really actually under wraps, because here at Diversity Church in June, we had a couple here in our church that uh, approached us when they saw one of our videos um, to adopt their baby. And they were about two or three months pregnant at that point. They just weren't at the place where they felt like they could take care of the baby. And so we said, of course, we walked and journeyed with them for about five months, and it was about November when um, he approached me, the father of this baby, and said, hey, I want you to sign off on my hours for community service. 
Now, as a pastor, you know, we oversee a not-for-profit. Therefore, people can come and, and serve and do community service. He had about two or 300 hours of community service that he wanted me to sign off on. And um, he only had done just a few hours. So I told him, I'm not going to do it. I mean, that's a lie. All who live godly in Christ didn't know this next part was about to come. It's about the end of November. He said, if you're not going to do that for me, I'm not going to give you the baby. All right. I'm going to do what's right. And if that's where you're at, God bless you. At the same exact time, this was crazy, especially thinking about an open door, thinking about what Jesus is even saying to this church, and I'm going to get more into that later. I, this is what happened. We get a call from our adoption agency. This was going to be a private adoption because we knew them and we met them through the church. The next call we get, this is overlapping what is happening now with this other couple. The adoption agency calls and says, there's a woman who's chosen your profile, and she wants to give you her baby. Would you meet her and all that kind of stuff? So we did. We talked to this woman, talked to her about our faith, talked about names for the baby, all this kind of stuff. We thought, okay, God, close one door, just like what he's saying to Philadelphia, and he's opening another door. So we go through this journey. We're walking through this journey. She's talking to us, telling us all these different things. We have gotten the crib and and clothes and all this stuff ready for this baby boy, and the baby's due date was actually January 20th, I believe. And so we were waiting, and she had given birth early in our last few pregnancies, so we were kind of just on call. Literally all last month, month and a half, we've been on call, really for six months now, I mean, in a way, just going through this journey. Well, come to find out, a week ago Wednesday, she was putting this all on. She had given birth on December 26th, did not tell us, took money from the adoption agency, acted like she was still pregnant just to get the last check, saying that she was still going to give us her baby, even though she had already given birth to the baby on December 26th. All because we're just trying to do the right thing. (laughs) Love a baby who needs to be loved. Obey God because he told us to do this. And we've suffered for doing the right thing. If you're going through suffering right now, you're going through persecution just because you've done the right thing. Me too. Jesus too. You're in good company. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There will be doors shut in your face. Matter of fact, when you thought one door might have opened, there might be another door that shuts in your face. That's what we have as followers of Jesus on this side of heaven, but we get to move on in this, and I got to preach the good news. I got to do it in my third point, and so I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's look at the, another lesson, though, of suffering. We're in good company because Jesus suffered for righteousness' sake. He said, we'll be blessed if we do. Other good, godly people suffer for righteousness' sake. Here's the second lesson, though. Sometimes you'll even be persecuted by your brothers. By your brothers. Now, the reference to the door shutting to them had to do with the local synagogue and the Jews of the local synagogue in this region of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. 
What you guys might not know about Christianity, it, it, it wasn't always so powerful. It, it didn't always have so much influence like it does 2,000 years later after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to think about this. This is the reason why in verse 8 he says, I know that you have little power. Why is that? Because in the early stages of the church, within the first, first 40 years, there weren't church buildings, basilicas, you know, this unified church leadership with a bunch of resources and power, right? They didn't have buildings that they just go worship in. So many times they would either just go to the local synagogue of the Jews, because this is where our, all of our faith got started, started from Father Abraham and through the Jewish people, through Jesus, who was a Jew. And then out of that, obviously, it was opened up for everybody who was non-Jewish, Gentiles, to come into faith. Right. So in the early church, what they would do is they would meet house to house and they would also try to gather in the local synagogue. Judaism at this point did have power. Judaism at this point did have prestige. Judaism at this point did even in the Roman system of government had certain things that they were allowed to do that not other other religions were even able to do. And they had buildings to be able to worship in. So when this is talking about a door being shut in the Christian's faith here in Philadelphia, what this was talking about is these Jews in this local synagogue of Philadelphia was kicking Christians out saying, we don't want you to worship with us. We're no longer wanting to hear about the son of God. You don't come here and worship, even though they come from the same place. And through Abraham, they were brothers, even Christians and Jews in a way are brothers because of the same father of both of our faith, Abraham. They said, we don't want that. So they shut the door to the synagogue in these Christians faces. This is the reason why in verse nine, it, it, Jesus actually calls them the synagogue of Satan. Meaning, like, listen, if you, if you don't accept my son, right? Jesus says, if you have loved the father, you would love me. He said, you're not even of your father, Abraham. He said this to Jews of Jesus' day when he was talking in John 8. He said, you're not of your father, Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. Why? Because if you love the father, he said, you would love me because I come from the father. Can I tell you all, you can't love God and not love Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. They're a package deal, right? And so again, these ones who should have known Messiah because they should have known the Father are now called the synagogue of Satan because they weren't practicing real faith in real faith or else they would have known the Father and therefore known the Son. So he calls them the synagogue of Satan because they weren't accepting his people into their midst. Now let me say this. Persecution feels different from people of faith. Persecution feels different from people of faith. Why? Because people of faith are our brothers, are our sisters. Now, again, there is a distance between a Jew and Gentile, but again, we come from the same place. If they haven't believed in Christ, that's the difference, right? But they should because he is from the Father, right? This is, this is what the whole plan was from God from the beginning. But man, when they're getting persecuted from people who should have accepted them, we have the same one true God, Yahweh. No, you believe in Jesus. We shut the door. We lock it. Get out of here. We don't want nothing to do with you. When it comes from your brother, when it comes from that person who's supposed to love you, now remember the name of Philadelphia, the city, 
is called brotherly love because a pagan king knew how to love his brother and the people of faith couldn't get it right. I wonder how often when it just comes to Christianity, let's take all the other religions or whatever out of the equation for a moment. Let's just think about people of the same faith in Jesus and how many times we don't love each other well. Does Jesus call us the church of Satan? If a pagan king can get this right by loving his brother and therefore the whole city is named after his love for his brother, why can't the church get this right? So often to preserve our power or to preserve our group or to preserve our prestige, we want to lift up ourselves and our little core of people or whatever and we like to shut doors on anybody else that don't belong in that group. So even in church, we don't maybe invite people that are outside of our clique to hang out. We might have something, maybe a ride for somebody or whatever, but we say no, and so we shut that door on them. In the early church, they said they had all things in common, like there was love in Jerusalem amongst the Christians. But where is the love today? And I know there is love today, but I want us to ask and examine ourselves in this moment. Are we being like the brother who's persecuting the other brother by shutting the door in their face? Or are we trying to be the people of love? Because the Bible says they will know us by our love. Persecution feels different when it comes from your brother. And this is the reason why so many people say forget Christianity. So many people are just giving up on Jesus and Christianity because maybe a brother or a sister, a Christian along the way has done something negative to persecute them, to hurt them, to harm them, whatever, or maybe even just shut a door in their face and they felt some type of way about it. So they said, I'm not going to church anymore. And then they'll even call themselves Christians still. I still believe in God, but I don't believe in the church. Oh, this happens all the time. Along the way in your Christianity, you will be persecuted by another Christian. Are you going to leave the church as a result of it? Are you going to leave Jesus as a result of it? Again, the devil will try to move any way he can to see if you bend and break. Even through a brother or sister. Now listen, along the way in my Christianity, I've seen this too much. And I've probably been on the other side of hurting somebody as a brother too much. I want you to know that I relate to persecution, y'all. Sometimes you look at a pastor on a stage or whatever and you think, man, they just got it all figured out. Their life is great, whatever. No, I go through the stuff too. Like when we started Diversity Church, and I don't tell this story a lot because I don't want to defame the name of the church. I love the church. I love the people of God. I love the organization of church. But I know bad stuff happens from people of faith to people of faith. In the church, in the name of Christ even. Like when we started Diversity Church, I had a local pastor who wanted to shut us down. He wanted us to stop the progress of coming to Garfield Park. He even called a meeting with our local fellowship to try to get me to stop diversity church 
Can I tell you that the enemy will do anything he can, including come as your brother, to get you to stop coming to church. To get you to stop your faith in Jesus. He will come, yes, even as a brother. Remember, Jesus had this through Peter. Peter said, don't go to the cross. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Satan was operating through Peter to get Jesus to stop doing Christianity. He will come sometimes through that. So did I stop Diversity Church? No, thank God that he had that open door and it didn't matter who was trying to shut it in my face, right? And this is why he tells them, this church in Philadelphia, in verse eight, part two, he says, I know that you have little power, right? You don't have any power. You don't have a church building. You don't have any, you haven't even started anything yet. You're only meeting in the backyard of your mom's house. You have little power, yet you have kept my word and not You've not denied my name. Don't let bad things done by people of faith deter your faith. Don't let bad things done by people of faith, brothers or sisters in faith, deter your faith. Don't give them that power. Don't give them that right. Continue to be faithful unto the Lord and the Lord will do what we're going to talk about in the third point. This is why this is the third lesson in this message. Jesus will have the last word in persecution. I told you I'd get to good news. Unfortunately, it wasn't good enough too soon. Come on, somebody, right? Jesus will have the last word and persecution. Look at verse nine. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, those who shut the door in your face, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, look at this church. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn. Check this out. They will learn that I have loved you. Come on, Jesus has the last word in persecution. I know it hurts, and in the moment, it's painful. In the moment, there will be times where you don't understand. In the moment, you might even think that, God, where have you gone? Have you forsaken me? Well, we know this. The Bible says this in another portion of Scripture. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. God is for us. He is with us. Yes, even in the storm, even in the persecution, even when your brother or sister comes against you, even when they shut the door in your face, Jesus will never leave you. It's in those moments that he teaches you and builds character in you and helps you see him and will come and do all sorts of other things in the middle of it. But I want you to think about this, that Jesus is there. He's with you and he will come through for you at just the right time. Someone might have closed the door on you, but I want you to know this, that Jesus has the keys and he can open that door anytime that he wants. I want you to know this too, that somebody might seem to have an open door in their life with all sorts of power and all sorts of control, but Jesus can close that door anytime that he wants. What should be our response in persecution? Just be faithful. Just continue to do what you know is the right thing. Continue to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Continue to meet. If you can't meet in the synagogue, come on, somebody. Meet in the back of a pickup truck. Come on, somebody. Like, if you can't do this here, do it somewhere else. But just keep on keeping on. 
Don't give up. Don't give in to their demands. Don't give in to that persecution. Even if you had to die for the name of Jesus, Jesus one day will have the last word, even if you've been killed for your faith in him. So you just keep on marching forward. You keep on keeping on. And this is why these words are so comforting. I've been thinking about this in my own situation. Yes, even in this adoption situation over the last six or seven months and really a year and a half and eight years in the making. Verse nine, part two, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. I love this. I will make them. And they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus fights for those he loves. This is why the Bible says we don't have to fight our own battles even. There will be corresponding faith action that we all need to take. But some of my buddies, Justin included, wanted to go to find this woman. Give her a piece of our mind, right? We feel that way in our flesh, don't we? But I don't need to prove God's love for me. He's going to prove it for me. I don't have to fight to say that God, my God's with me and that he's going to win at the end of the day. I just need to let the lion out of his cage and he'll do the fighting for me. This is why the Bible even says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If I let God have vengeance on my enemies, he's going to do a better job defeating them, whooping them two times on Sunday, five times on Thursday. You know what I mean? They might not even know what's happening, but eventually they're going to realize, wait, I messed with one of God's. I don't have to prove that. Matter of fact, I even pray mercy on them. God bless them. Because it is a terrible thing, the Bible says, to fall into the hands of a living God. I don't want to see that for them. I want to see repentance and faith in Jesus so that they can see and know and love the same Jesus that I see and know and love. But I know this, that just because they've taken something from me or they, they've They've done something for me to miss out on maybe an opportunity or whatever. They've closed the door in my face. I just know that my God at one point is going to prove to them, not just to me, although I'm waiting for that moment. He's going to prove that he loves us in this process, but he's going to prove to them. Since he's going to make them bow down. Was this open door that he set in before Philadelphia an open door uh, to the Jews for salvation? Hopefully. Hopefully there was revival amongst the synagogue in this, in this area. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Was it to actually go from them because they rejected it just like the Bible says that because the Jews rejected it, Paul went to the Gentiles, right? I don't know what that open door was, but they will know that open door. They will know that Jesus has loved them. They will know that he is for them. They will know that he's not against them. They will know that they tried to take something from them. They've tried to steal from them. They tried to kill. They tried to destroy Jesus's church, but they will know that Jesus has the last word. I hope that encourages somebody in here that's going through something. 
I know that, that for me and, and for, for our family, I know that this has been encouraging for us. I've seen it along the way in different times in my life where it seemed like a closed door. Even with that church that I was telling you about, a board member of that church came when we were renovating this building. And remember, they wanted us to close. A board member of this church came, or that church came to this building when we were renovating it. And one of the things they said to me kind of just like made me, I was reminded of this, especially in this message and specifically in the scripture, because this is what this person said after they saw the building and that this building was donated to Diversity Church, free and clear. This is what this board member said. God has to be with you guys. At one point, they're trying to shut us down. Now they're coming and saying, how are we going to fight against God? I know there's a time coming when all the stuff that we've gone through in the adoption thing, or even one day, when all of this is said and done and we see Jesus face to face, that he's going to have that final word and everyone's going to see these are the ones that I love. This is what we learned through persecution, church. We're all going to go through some stuff in Christianity. And God has the keys to the doors he wants to close in our life. And the keys that he wants to open, those doors that he wants to open. Let us just be faithful through it all to trust God that he knows better than us. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?